Okay, it's good to be back. It's been a little while. We had the break for Christmas and New Year's, and then last week I was under the weather. Didn't figure everybody wanted me to bring it to you and spread it around. So appreciate Mike jumping in last week and and uh, teaching. Now this week we pick up in chapter 21, page 89 in your book. We'll be dealing with reconciliation and acceptance. Now in the previous chapter, of course, we saw that our righteous standing in the eyes of God is based not on our daily walk, not based on our daily condition, but based on our position in Christ. We are justified in Him. Justified has to do with being declared righteous. And so, when God looks at you, when God looks at me, He sees us as righteous because of our relationship to Christ. It has nothing to do with how I'm living. Now, hopefully, as I grow in my understanding of who I am in Christ, it will change the way I live. But I have to realize that my Standing in the eyes of God, my righteous standing in the eyes of God is based on the fact that I am in Christ and I stand clothed in his righteousness. That also becomes the basis, the primary basis of assurance of my salvation. Assurance of my salvation may in a secondary sense be at times Uh, influenced by my daily walk, you know, as I sometimes look more like a child of God, that gives me a degree of assurance. But there's a lot of days where I might not look like a, a child of God, where my life might not be consistent with, you know, what a child of God would look like. But do am I less assured of my salvation on those days? I will be less assured if I don't realize that my assurance of salvation rests on Christ, not on me. And so even in the days I'm struggling, even in the days I fail, if I grasp who I am and what I have in Christ, I can have full confidence in my salvation. It does not have to be shaken at all. Now today we pick up and we... Begin by dealing with reconciliation. And we're going to see that reconciliation is another thing that rests upon our position in Christ. I am reconciled to God not on the basis of the life I'm living. I'm reconciled to God on the basis of my union with Christ. And so he, he opens the chapter and he says, the settled assurance of our justification is not simply to make us sure of getting to heaven, but to prepare us for further spiritual progress. So he said, you know, this assurance we have of our justification in the eyes of God, it's not just so that we have full confidence that one day in the future we're going to go to heaven. He says that that assurance of our justification is meant to put us in a position 
where we can begin to further develop in our spiritual progress. Once I become uh, assured of my righteous standing in the eyes of God, then I am in a position to begin to take in some of the other truths that are so crucial to my spiritual development. Now, if I'm still struggling with the issue of my righteous standing, none of these other things are really going to sink home. If I'm still struggling regarding my righteous standing in the eyes of God, I'm going to have difficulty accepting the reality of my reconciliation to God. I have to be sure of my justification before I'm ever going to uh, move forward. And so that's why he goes on to say, assurance of our justified position in Christ gives us sureness in each subsequent step of our spiritual development. So once I'm firmly confident of my justified position, it gives me confidence in each forward uh, 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 step in my uh, spiritual development. And so he, he quotes a couple of passages here. First of all, from Romans 3.24, he, tell, he reminds us that by grace we were born anew, being justified freely by his grace. So yes, we are justified by grace. But in 2 Peter 3.18, he says, and by grace we will grow. Because in, in 2 Peter 3.18, it says, grow in grace. Now, unfortunately, many believers have this idea that they have been saved by grace, but somehow growth is going to come through their self-effort. No, growth is going to come through God's grace. It's going to come through the provisions of His grace. And the more we grow in our understanding of grace, the more we come to under, uh, grow in our understanding of its provisions, the more it is going to change the way we live. That will be a result, not a cause. All too often we get the cart before the horse. We take what is intended to be an effect and we try to make it the cause. You know, a changed life is an effect of me really coming to grasp who I am and what I have in Christ. It comes as a result of me abiding in that relationship with Him. It will, not, it will not be a cause. And so he says, until we rest assured in our position of justification, we are not spiritually prepared for the positional truth of our reconciliation to and our acceptance by God. So what we learned a few weeks ago regarding justification and assurance is crucial for what we're about to learn. Because once we've come to rest in the fact that when God looks at me, when God looks at you, He sees you clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. It doesn't matter how your life has been today or what it was like yesterday or what it's going to be like tomorrow. 
It doesn't matter if you're struggling today and if you're failing in many different ways. You still are viewed by God as being righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you begin to rest in that fact, it sets the stage for you to begin to take on board some other important truths. Now he says, the ground of our reconciliation to God is justification from the penalty of sin. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we were justified from the death penalty of sin, thereby enabling God to reconcile us to himself. So justification dealt with the whole issue of sin. It canceled the sin debt that was held against us. It made it possible for him to impute the very righteousness of Christ to us. And now on the basis of the fact that we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ, God can reconcile us to himself. He can bring us back into a close relationship with him. He says, justification frees us from death. Reconciliation brings us into life. What's going to change our day-to-day life is our being brought into this reconciled relationship with our Heavenly Father. Where we can walk hand-in-hand with Him now. Once we were dead to Him, we were totally separated from Him. We could have no relationship with Him. But now, the barrier that stood between us and Him has been dealt with. And so the door is open for us to experience true life. And he quotes from Romans 5.10 in the Amplified Version. He says, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. It is much more certain now that we, now that we are reconciled, that we shall be saved or daily delivered from sin's dominion through his resurrection life. You know, salvation is not just about delivering us from the guilt and penalty of sin. Salvation is about delivering us from the reign of sin in our lives. It's about setting us free. And whereas justification dealt with the guilt and penalty of sin, reconciliation has a lot to do with us being delivered from the reign of sin in our daily lives because It's through our walk with the Lord that we are set free from the bondage we had to sin. So he defines reconciliation here. He says, to be reconciled is to be brought into a right relationship, into harmony. He says, being dead in our sins, we were completely cut off from a relationship with the God of life. Spiritually, we were the children of the devil, according to John 8, 44. Instead of seeking to bring to, uh, bring to life and reconcile the fallen Adamic nature, the old man, 
an impossibility because that life is enmity toward God and cannot be subject to the law of God, according to Romans 8, 7. He said, God recreated us in the life of the Lord Jesus. He placed us in a totally new position. He took us out of Adam and he put us into Christ. Quoting from Ephesians 2.5 in the Amplified Version, Even when we were dead, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life with which he quickened him. God in Christ has given us a whole new life. He has given us his life. You know, oftentimes, again, when people think of eternal life, they think of it as something out in the future. You know, that... Uh, When we leave this world behind, we're going to go to heaven, and that's where we're going to experience eternal life. Now, eternal life is the eternal life of God that he has made us partakers of. That life that he has always possessed, that through Christ he shares with us. We are possessors of that life now, and as we are reconciled to God, we come to see that life and we begin to appropriate that life and we begin to live in the realm of that life. Now very significantly, he says, self cannot be reconciled to God. That which I was in Adam, that which I am apart from Christ is never going to be brought into a, a right relationship with God. And that's the mistake a lot of Christians make. They think that somehow they are going to make their self-life acceptable to God. That through doing this or doing that, they will become reconciled to God. No, we are reconciled to God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, I have nothing. My Adamic life is just as objectionable to him today as it was the day before I was saved. It is the life I share with Christ that is reconciled to God. He says, since we were born sinners and therefore were uh, enmity against God, our... Reconciliation to him was no simple matter. It took the cross of Calvary to solve the problem. There, as lost and alienated sinners, we were identified with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death unto sin and resurrection unto God. We were raised from the dead as new creations in Christ. Of course, we're told that in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. In 2 Peter 2, verse, uh, I mean, uh, 
Second Peter 1 verse 4, he says that we have become partakers of the divine nature. God has shared his very nature with us. And I, I believe he's done that by implanting the Holy Spirit within us. He says we were completely and eternally reconciled to the Father. And he quotes from Colossians 1, 20 through 22. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, the cross of Christ, by him to reconcile all things unto him. And you were sometimes alienated in enmities in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Think about that last phrase. Our relationship with Christ makes it possible for us to be presented holy, which is totally set apart, unblameable and unreprovable. That's not talking about my daily condition. That's talking about my position in Christ. Now he says, our present condition is infinitely inferior to our eternal position. But our Father accepts us, not in ourselves, but in his Son. What I am in my daily life falls way, way, way short of what I am in Christ. It doesn't even come close. But he says, our Father accepts us not on the basis of our daily lives. Our Father accepts us on the basis of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we come to see that like reconciliation... Acceptance is based on our position in Christ. It's not based upon anything you and I do. God 100% accepts me today. Not because I'm living a really good life today or I lived a really good life yesterday. He 100% accepts me because I am in Christ. And he accepts me with this same acceptance he extends to him. He says, Our Lord Jesus Christ so completely justified us in his death and resurrection, that our Father is absolutely just in eternally reconciling us. It does not violate the justice of God to accept you and me, despite our frailties, despite our failures. Why can he, as a just and righteous God, accept you and me? Because Christ has already canceled our sin debt. 
And because we have been united with Him, and so while we bring no righteousness into that relationship, we also bring no debt into it because He's already canceled the debt. And so in that relationship with Him, we share in His righteous standing. And so God, as a just and righteous God, looks at us. He sees the debt as having been paid. He sees us sharing in Christ's righteousness. And He can totally accept us. He can reconcile us to Himself. See, His love now and his life are both free to flow through us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, he had no sin of his own. Why? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Note that last little phrase, that in him. We are not made the righteousness of God apart from Him. We are made the righteousness of God in Him. Then he quotes from 2 Corinthians 5.18. Yeah, 5.18. All things are from God who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to Himself. Received, uh, and this is from the Amplified, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself. And so now due to this work of justification, due to this work of reconciliation, there is absolutely and complete acceptance for us. And Stanford tells us, right here we have one of the most vital positional subjects, and yet it is relatively unknown among believers today. He says, all too few are enjoying, enjoying the benefits of acceptance in their daily walk. He said, way too many believers do not, on a day-to-day basis, understand how completely they are accepted by God. And because of that, he said, the believer who is not aware of his position of acceptance in Christ is caught in the struggle to improve his condition in order to feel acceptable by God. So he says, if you have not come to grasp that your acceptance Right, rest 100% on your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are left with this attempt on a daily basis to so live that God will, that you feel you are acceptable in God's sight. And that's where the Christian life becomes incredibly burdensome. Because you're never going to be able to do it. It just brings about so much self-effort. As I shared with you before, you know, when we were in Ireland, one of the first couples we met with, you know, she had come to us and asked about meeting with us because she said that we were the first believers she had ever met who seemed to enjoy the Christian life. 
And the reason for that was by and large, the, the Christian community in Ireland was marked by legalism. It was uh, uh, marked by a, a real focus on their daily lives and trying to produce and trying to win God's acceptance. And it made them miserable. It made it burdensome. We were able to and have been able to enjoy the Christian life for much of our, 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 our life because we have come to put our confidence in the fact that who we are and what we have rests not on us but on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have our struggles, we don't have our failures, we don't have our times, we jump off into the flesh. But by and large, the Christian life is not a burdensome thing. Because it rests on Him. That's why He says, the The believer who abides in the Lord Jesus as his righteousness and acceptance is freed from futile self-effort. Once we put our confidence in who we are and how we are accepted by God on who we are in Christ, it lifts a huge burden off our shoulders. And it's not that our lives now don't matter. That we don't care whether we sin or not. No, we do. Why? Because we want our lives to be consistent with who we are in Christ. We want His life to be seen in us. It matters to us how we live. But we are not resting how God sees us and how God accepts us on how we live. We're resting it on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, standing in his position, the believer's position in Christ, he trusts Christ to manifest himself increasingly in his life. My confidence is that as I walk with the Lord, that Christ will increasingly show himself through me. My confidence is that who I am in Christ will, little by little, become more and more manifested in my daily walk. But he says, he is free from the burden of himself and has become burdened on behalf of others. 2 Corinthians 5.18, God hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. See, he says, once I quit feeling like I have got to somehow strive to get God to accept me, that I have got to somehow prove myself to be righteous to Him, once I get that burden off my shoulder, I can actually become concerned about other people. And that's when I can begin to truly minister. As long as I am focused on myself, it will consume me.
you know, part of really coming to see ourselves in Christ is that it produces humility. I've talked about humility before, that humility is not thinking lowly of ourselves. Humility is not thinking of ourselves. The more I become focused on Christ, the less I'm focused on me, and the more I can be focused on others. And that's where humility comes in. The life is not about me. It's about Christ. And what he's seeking to do in and through me in reaching out to the lost and dying world around us and the struggling saints around us. Now he starts out looking here uh, again further concerning acceptance. He says, first of all, we must consider the area in which we are not accepted by God nor ever can be. He says, it's only natural for us to feel that our spiritual work and service make us acceptable to the Father. You know, it's natural to think that, you know, it's, you know, it's my walk, my daily life is what I'm doing for God that makes me acceptable. And I mean, this is a real danger for those who are in full-time ministry. It's a real danger to think that it is our service that makes us acceptable to God. It's a danger for missionaries. It's a danger for pastors. It's a danger for anyone that's in you know, whose life seems to be involved around ministry, to think that somehow that ministry is making us acceptable. He says, you know, we imagine, and that's all it is, is imagination, we imagine that it is our responsibility with his help, you know, yeah, we can't do it alone. We need God to help us. You know, that's where we bring him in, you know. Uh, uh, I can't do it 100%. You know, I need his little 10% added to my efforts. But, you know, we feel it's our responsibility with his help to live and serve so faithfully and fruitfully that he will approve of us. And therefore, uh, continually and abundantly bless us. Man, I'm going to serve so faithfully that God is going to basically be constrained to bless me. To be faithful to me because I've been so faithful to him. He says, we are making the natural mistake of of depending on our condition instead of our position for acceptance. He said, once we've shifted from resting on who we are in Christ as our source of acceptance to what we're doing, we're in trouble. Now, he's not downplaying service. He says, as important as it is, 
Service is often a condition-centered detriment in the lives of many zealous believers. Does God desire for us to serve him? Yes. But he doesn't desire for us to serve him through the energy of the flesh. He doesn't desire for us to serve him in a in a an attempt to win his favor. He desires for us to serve him as an outflow of Christ's life in and through us. He wants that service to be a result, not a cause. And he says, service can become a detriment. How? Well, he says, when, when service is given predominance over fellowship with and growth in the Lord Jesus, doing instead of being takes over in the life. He says, as soon as fellowship and growth become less important than what we're doing, we're in trouble. <laughs> And I guarantee you that happens all too often in Christian ministry. I can assure you it happens a whole lot on the mission field. That's why missionaries need member care. (laughs) Because at times they need someone who's going to come in and point them back to the fact that in all their service, all their efforts, they've lost sight Of who they are and what they have in Christ and what's important to him. It's so, you know, easy to get, you know, you see all this need and somehow you forget that only God is capable of meeting all that need. And you start taking it on your own shoulders. And more and more and more doing fills your life. And God gets, gets pushed out of your life. Oh, you're doing it for Him. Yes, but He's not doing it through you. And that's a huge difference. He says, fellowship and growth must ever take precedence over service and activity. Otherwise, spiritual declension sets in. And again, that's a challenge. Again, it's, it's a challenge for, for pastors. It's a challenge for missionaries who at times have leadership over them who are saying, you need to get this done, you need to get this done, you need to get this done, and who are putting more pressure on them to do the job than to maintain their relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord is crucial. We have been reconciled to Him, which opens the door for us to walk in daily fellowship with Him. And as we do so, we will grow. And as we grow, it will have its uh, fruitfulness uh, uh, come forth. But if we get caught up in the doing, I know one time 
I heard a fellow speaking on this, and he, he, he did like a pyramid with doing at the top and being at the bottom. And he says, when you flip that over, it's not very stable. <laughs> when you're trying to put a pyramid on its point, it lacks any stability. When our lives are based on being, we have that solid base that will withstand the storms of life. And the doing that results at the top will be, will be right. But if we let doing become so important, if we think that that is how we're going to win favor with God, that's how we're going to get Him to bless us, that's how we're going to get Him to meet our needs. No, He's going to meet our needs on the basis of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to bless us on the basis of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, in this reversal of God's order for us, the heart seeks satisfaction and a sense of acceptance through production, which is a law-based way of thinking, instead of reception, which is grace-based. Bible study and prayer, as well as one's outlook, become almost exclusively service-centered. You know, my prayer can become all about service, rather than my prayer being a time of fellowship with my Father. You know, my Bible study can be, you know, looking for truths I can share with somebody else and, and that going to minister to this person or that, rather than my Bible study being towards getting to know my Lord. And so he says, instead of life bringing forth service, service, Becomes life. That should be the life instead of to life on there. But instead of life bringing forth service, service becomes the life. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people in ministry, that that is what is true of them. Service has become their life. And then he says, thus, as long as service goes well, the servant is happy and feels accepted. Man, you know, if you're in a ministry of evangelism, as long as those people are walking the aisle and coming for, oh yeah, everything's great. You feel accepted by God. Or regardless of your ministry. You know, as long as it's producing what you think it should be producing, you think, wow, I'm happy. God loves me. God accepts me. God really values me because of all I'm doing for Him. But then He says, but once the service wanes or fails to produce results, all else fails, falls with it. And God will let that service wane. Because God is more concerned with the servant than he is with the service. 
And he says, we are to be sons, not servants. Quoting from Galatians 4.17. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And so he says, you know, in time, we begin to realize that there is something very wrong with this entire concept. We become aware that our walk and service are less and less acceptable even to ourselves. We, we begin to realize that our walk and service aren't even measuring up to our own standards, much less God's. And so in seeking to do rather than be, in attempting to give more than we take in, our condition, he says, become barren and carnal. This life becomes barren. It becomes carnal. It becomes very fleshly. And he's, why? Because we have been depending on self to do what only Christ, our life, can do. The farther we move on this tangent, the more active and malignant the self-life appears to be. But then, and we'll close on this statement and pick up here next week. He says, what the condition-centered believer does not realize is that God himself is causing this shattering revelation of self. Again, because God is more concerned with the servant than the service, God will allow us to fail big time in service if we're doing it through the energy of the flesh. Why? So that we will be brought to him. And many who don't understand that, many who are in ministry who don't understand that become despondent and they walk away um, just totally... um, downtrodden. I was trying my best to serve God. Why didn't he help me? Rather than realizing that they were doing in the flesh what only God intended to do through Christ. Now next next week we'll pick up and we'll begin to see more and more how our position plays into all this and uh, has so much to do with our acceptance uh, by God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you now for this time we've had together. We do thank you for the fact that we are reconciled to you, that we are accepted by you. Not because of our righteous living, but because of who we are in Christ. Lord, we just uh, so appreciate uh, the provisions of your grace that you've made and pray that we would increasingly understand them and benefit from them. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.